Hebrews chapter 7, verses 20-24. Some of this will be a little bit of review from last week. And insomuch as not without an oath he was made priest, for those priests, speaking of Levitical priests, were made without an oath, but this, the Lord Jesus, with an oath, by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Is that word again? Jesus is better. Everything in Jesus is better. I know that it's redundant, but it's worth noting. It's worth uh, the. It's worth knowing. It's worth believing and reminding ourselves that what we have in Jesus is better. Certainly better than anything in this world, and it's better than what the Jewish people had under the Levitical system. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continued forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Again, I believe from at least from one of the commentaries I read that over the history of Israel there were 84 high priests. They couldn't continue by reason of death because they were human beings like you and me. And they were sinners in need of a Savior. And their God had set a limit on their number of years on this earth. So even if they served faithfully the Lord under that Levitical system, they were going to die. But this man, Jesus Christ, died once and rose again from the dead. And He has an eternal priesthood. He has an unchangeable priesthood. It's better. Okay? It's better. And there's so many comparisons. But it's a, it's a, one, one commentary that I read said, God places behind Christ's commission the eternal truths of His throne, the immutable attributes of His nature. If they can change, in other words, God's nature can change, or His attributes can change, or His truth can change, then the new priesthood can change. Otherwise, it cannot. In other words, God guaranteed it or backed it up by Jesus Christ Himself. His finished work on the cross, Him being risen from the dead, and He is the guarantee of everything He said, of all that He's promised, of the new covenant, of the new relationship that we have in Christ with God, of heaven, the future He has for us. He Himself is the guarantee. The Bible says because He lives, we... We live also, right? Because He lives. And He is our priest and intercessor. I want to keep reading verses 25 and 26. Wherefore, He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. The Bible says that the Lord God, through His Son Jesus Christ, the Lord is able to save them to the uttermost. And the uttermost simply means what you think it would mean. It means entire, full completion, perfection, through all time. The Lord is able to save them to the uttermost that come to Him by that come to Him by God. Okay, unto God by Him, seeing He ever lives to be our intercessor or to intercede on our behalf. We can never say that Jesus can save me from this sin, but He can't save me from that sin. He can save uh, from this situation, but He can't save in this situation. He's able to save to the uttermost. 
to full completion, to perfection. You can never say He can save me, but He can't save that person. Or He can save that person because they were all, always pretty good to start with. But He couldn't save me because I'm a rotten, no good sinner. He came to save sinners, okay? And He can save to the uttermost those that come to God by Jesus Christ. He's able to do that. And we can never say He can save from this, but not this sin. Or He can save from our original sin, but He can't save from our ongoing sin that we commit in this life. He's a Savior to the uttermost, the Bible says. And as He saves those that come to Him by His Son Jesus. I know these are simple truths, but it's what the Word of God says. We need to know what we believe. We need to be confident in what we believe. Jesus said in John 10, He said, I'm the door by Me. If any man enters in, he shall be saved. He's going to go in and out and find pasture. Okay, I'm the door. All those that try to come up some other way are thieves and robbers. But those that come unto God by Christ are going to be saved. The Bible says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things that are above. We're risen with Christ. If we're born again, He's the only Savior and He's the Lord. The Bible says that He ever lives to make intercession for us. Intercession is a word that's used in the Bible. Um, It means to entreat. It means to confer with. And I want to give a Scripture here from Isaiah 59. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to be reading from Isaiah 59.16. And He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, His arm brought salvation unto Him and His righteousness, it sustained Him. You know what He's saying? The Lord looked among men to see if there would be an intercessor to stand in the gap between men and God. And He found none. He found none. So guess what He did? He said, therefore, His arm, the Lord's own arm, that would represent Jesus Christ being that arm of power, that arm of deliverance, that arm of authority. Therefore, His arm brought salvation unto Him. And His righteousness, it sustained Him. The Lord is our intercessor. Aren't you glad that He's the one that's interceding for us at the right hand of the Father? He ever lives, the Bible says, to intercede. It goes on to say in verse 26, such a high priest, not of the Levitical order, but of the Melchizedek order, All right, the one that was made with an oath, Jesus Christ, such a high priest became us. That simply means when it became us, it means that He was... He was fit, proper. Uh, he, he meets our needs. And to put it in layman's terms, the Lord meets our needs. And so He became us. And it gives some characteristics of Jesus. And you'd have to compare that to men that were priests. Even the best of men that were priests were still men. So when you compare, it describes the Lord and some of the characteristics of Jesus who is holy. Well, you couldn't say that of any, any man. Right now, we if we're born again, we can be holy. God's called us to be holy, but just a man on his own. The Bible says he's holy, he's he's uh, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. I'll just mention what these words mean quickly. If you're taking notes, how he differs from the from the Levitical priest. He was holy, and it simply means he was morally pure. You can't say that about anybody. You can say it about the Lord, though. He's holy. That's what the angels are around the throne of God continually night and day saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The Bible says here in the description of Jesus that He's harmless. That means innocent. That He's undefiled. That means unsoiled or He's pure. 
and separate from sinners. Now think about this for a little while. He's separate from the sinners in a couple of ways. He's separate from sinners in his very nature, right? He wasn't born a child of Adam. He wasn't born in that lineage. He was born of the Holy Ghost. He's the eternal Son who always existed. And when He became the Son of Man, it was by the Holy Spirit of a virgin He was born. He didn't partake in any of that, not one cell of that nature of Adam. It did not have anything to do with Jesus. He's the second Adam. Okay, And so He's separate from sinners in His nature, and He's separate from sinners because He lived a sinless life. So he didn't actually commit any sins either. Even though his nature wasn't sinless, he also, on top of that, didn't sin. He said, which of you convinceth me of sin? It was a public thing. If I said that to a crowd of people, somebody could say, my family could say, convince me and convict me and point out a lot of sins in my life. Unfortunately. You know what I'm saying? And that would be for all of us. But for the Lord to say that, He was He was separate from sinners in his nature and he was separate from sinners in the fact that he lived a sinless life he's not separate from sinners in the fact that he wants to distance himself from sinners he's very near Emmanuel God with us okay so there's a difference he's not stand he's not a standoff kind of God who's going to stand at arm's length and just see if we can figure it out throw us a few tidbits of spiritual advice every now and then he became one of us without the sin nature and died for sins. For sinful men. But He's separate from sinners and will always be separate from sinners in His nature and in the sinless life that He lived. And it's a good thing because He's God. And we serve a God that's greater than we are. And that God that's greater than us can save sinners because He didn't need a Savior Himself. He's able to save us because He's sinless. And... um, Let's keep reading. In verse, verses 27, well, let's read verse 27 right now. This, this great high priest, Jesus, needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Every one of those priests, y'all, he would offer up uh, a sacrifice. He would offer up a sacrifice for the sins of men. But it was an animal, it was a goat, it was a bull, it was a sheep. And that's what God required and that's what He accepted as a temporary covering for men's sins. But what's better about Jesus? He offered Himself once. He offered Himself. He didn't get a substitute. Every one of those priests offered something besides themselves. If it was the best lamb in a spotless, in a natural sense, a spotless lamb, they still offered something else. But Jesus offered up Himself. And the Bible says that a body God has prepared and He prepared Himself a sacrifice to be offered. And all those other sacrifices pointed to Jesus coming to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. And it says He did this once. That's another thing that's better. He offered Himself one time. And once is very important, y'all, because those other sacrifices were continually offered up. They were continually offered. And I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. And we're going to keep your spot in, in Hebrews and turn to Exodus chapter 29. Exodus, Exodus chapter 29, we're going to pick up in verse 38. I just want you to see this. What was going on in this system 
Exodus 29, 38. Now this is that which thou shalt offer. Now this he's talking about the Levitical priesthood and giving instructions to, to Aaron. Okay? This is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar. Two lambs of the first, first year, day by day, continually. So just I want you to think about the amount of bloodshed. Okay? Not to be morbid or gruesome, but I just want you to see... But this, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And so this was a picture of the real cleansing that would come through Jesus' blood. Okay? But here's what God required. A lamb, two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. Every single day, two lambs. Alright? The one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning, the other lamb thou shalt offer at even. And with the one lamb... A tenth deal of flour mingled with a fourth part of a hen of beaten oil, and the fourth part of a hen uh, of wine for a drink offering. And the other lamb thou shalt offer it even, and thou shalt do thereto according to the meat offering of the morning, and according to the drink offering thereof, for a sweet savor and an offering made by fire unto the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generation's at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak unto thee. It's, it's, it's significant. So we're seeing that it was through uh, these that God required these continual sacrifices to be offered. I'm going to read another verse. This is from Leviticus chapter 16. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself, and for his house, and shall kill the bullet for the sin offering, which is for himself. Three times. Aaron, the first priest, okay, the first of that Levitical line of priests. And the Lord says he's going to bring this bullet, and he's going to offer it for himself. He's going to make atonement for himself. He's going to offer it for himself. Did Jesus ever have to make atonement for any sins of his own? Did that something else have to be sacrificed for Jesus' sins? No. It's significant. These aren't just little minor doctrinal things. It's important. We have a Savior that is harmless and sinless and you know, separate from sinners and so forth. And it's, everything is better. Under the, uh, I think it's called transubstantiation of the belief of the Catholic Church where the, um, where the sacraments, you know, when they, when they take the, the Lord's Supper and they offer up the wine and the bread and they take it, there's a belief that in that system, that Jesus is literally present in that communion. Like present in the wine. Okay? When the priest takes it and lifts it up before he gives it to the people and blesses it, and then when the person takes of it, that it literally, this is in Catholic doctrine, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, literally becomes the flesh of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. But the Bible says that He offered Himself once. Once. He's not continually being offered in a church service over and over among millions of people worldwide week after week. This He did once. And I'm not ridiculing that. I'm simply saying that the Bible makes it clear He offered Himself, not an animal, and He offered Himself once. And it's a historical event. He said on the cross, it is finished. Alright? And so He completed what He came to do. And I'm thankful for that. That the Lord finished that. 
So, uh, let, let's just read verse 28, and we'll be finished with this chapter. And I, I feel like we can go in and start chapter 8. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmities, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. He's simply saying, again, what's better? What's better in Jesus and His priesthood and His covenant and His sacrifice and His intercession? Everything is better about Jesus. The law made men priests before the Lord that were sinful men. The law did that. There was a, uh, uh, requirements that had to be met from the tribe of Levi for the the, you know, the priest, that continual uh, lineage that was followed. But it was still sinful men and they followed the pattern of the law. But the Lord made, God the Father made Jesus our high priest by an oath, by His promise. And we've quoted the Scripture a bunch of times in Psalm 110 that the Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It's a different order. And it wasn't by a law. It was by an oath. It was by the Lord who made the promise. And so there again, everything in Jesus is better. Now in chapter 8, we're going to start it. It speaks specifically... That chapter spoke a lot about Jesus being a better high priest. This one will too. But this chapter is going to also emphasize a, a superior covenant. The covenant itself that Jesus brought. Okay? And I'll just read this Scripture. We all know it. But in Matthew 26-28, the Last Supper, the night that Jesus was arrested, the next day He would be crucified, He said, "...for this is My blood of the New Testament." which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Alright? New Testament means New Covenant. That's what that means. So, He represents not only a, a, a new priest, He represents a new covenant and a new sanctuary. And this, this chapter is going to talk about it. So I want to read just verse 1, and then we'll talk about it. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Again, could that say, be said about any priest? Because remember, at the right hand in a place of majesty and at the right hand and enthroned on a throne is speaking of the Lord in heaven. It's not speaking of good men that have gone to heaven. It's not speaking of Moses or Elijah or Daniel or, or Paul or Peter or John or any Levitical priest that was a good priest like Samuel. It's speaking of Jesus. He's enthroned because He's seated and He finished His work. And then he set, He's sitting down basically at the right end of the Father until His enemies become His footstool. He finished what He came to do. The next, and now He's in a place of intercession for us. But the priest's work in the Levitical order, they never finished their work, did they? We just read it in Exodus, right? How often did they offer the... The sacrifices, morning and evening, and morning and evening, continually, every day for the throughout all your generations. As long as this law is in place, this these sacrifices are going to be made for the sins of the people and for your own sins. But they never sat down. They certainly never sat down on the throne. Okay, but Jesus did. So these scriptures are important. And again, we're trying. Uh, it's an encouragement to us as Christians but it was written also as to be an encouragement to these believers, Hebrew believers who came out of that. 
and might have been tempted, I'm sure they were at times, to go back. To forsake this and go back. Alright, let's read verse 2. A minister that's speaking about Jesus of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. Tabernacle was the tent. We understand that. That the Lord gave the pattern to Moses on Mount Sinai. He gave him the pattern, a specific pattern. Just like the Lord gave David the blueprints for the temple that was to be built. Solomon actually built it. But it was in David's heart. And God gave him the specific dimensions and the heights and what it was to be called and the decorations and where there was to be gold and what kind of wood to use and everything, right? And same thing for this tabernacle. The tabernacle was uh, almost like a foreshadow of the temple, but it was still the place where, where men would meet with God under this system and the high priest would enter in. But the pattern was given to Moses and it was a pattern. But Jesus is a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle. You know what He's speaking about? He's speaking about the true tabernacle that's in heaven. And tabernacle simply means, in one sense, it means habitation. Okay? Habitation. So there's a true habitation of God in heaven. And we, the Bible says in Ephesians, have been made to sit together with Christ Jesus in heavenly places that we have this habitation with the Lord and Him with us uh, because of the new birth, because of being born again and our sins being washed away. But Jesus is a minister or a servant basically of that heavenly tabernacle, the habitation, not the shadow, but the real. Okay? Not the shadow, but the real. And uh, the Bible says it's the Lord's doing. I'm just quoting from Psalm 118. That's the Lord's doing and it's marvelous. In our eyes, he's able to do it, and he has done it. For every high priest, verse 3, is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. That's two things. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man, speaking of Jesus, have somewhat also to offer. Every priest offered two things they offered gifts and sacrifices. Gifts were simply acts of worship or gratitude or thanksgiving to God. Could have been praises, could have been thanksgiving, could have been prayers, could have been worship to the Lord. Every high priest offered gifts, and every high priest offered sacrifices. They were definitely the sacrifices were for atonement, for the atonement of the sins of the people, including their own. And I know I've said it a bunch of times, but atonement simply means covering. That's a good thing. Jesus made atonement for our sins, but his his blood has done more than it washes us clean from our sins. And so the atonement that was made under these sacrifices by these priests would be a temporary covering that they could continue to live. They could continue to live uh, under that system. They continue to live in the in the family of Israel, in the house of Israel, and in a walk with... You know what I'm saying? They weren't just killed. and But that didn't save them. Never saved them. We'll get to that more in a little bit. But Jesus... What did He offer? He offered Himself. We've already talked about that. They offered gifts and sacrifices. He offered Himself. Alright? And verses 4 and 5. For if He were on earth, He, would, he should not be a, high, be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. And in the study and I did, that simply means 
if, if it was an earthly priesthood, Jesus would have been disqualified. And that's the best that I've heard in studying that because of the, him not coming from the, the, you know, the tribe of Levi. He would have been disqualified. They wouldn't even have considered him. But it was, so it wasn't an earthly priesthood like the Levitical priesthood. Who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. You hear people say all the time, types and shadows, right? When you're studying the Bible, types and shadows. Well, here's one of the places it's used. Those things, those, that priesthood of the Levites and so forth, and tabernacle, serve un, unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, this is what the Lord said to him, For see, saith he, that thou makest all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. And so, um, the earthly tabernacle, the earthly temple, the earthly priesthood, the earthly sacrifices, the earthly garments that the priest wore, wore everything that had to do, the candlestick, the showbread, we've been through that. All of that represented the heavenly one that was to come. The true, real deal that was to come. They were shadows. They were examples of the actual, which Jesus is the actual. He's the final Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He introduced a new covenant in His blood. There is a heavenly habitation, not an earthly tabernacle or temple anymore. Uh, All of it was types and shadows fulfilled past tense in Christ. And we haven't seen it all. We haven't seen heaven yet. We haven't walked on the streets of gold. We haven't uh, seen the Lord face to face or embraced Him like we're going to one day. So it's still out there for us. But He still fulfilled what needed to be done in His first coming and to introduce this new, uh, this new priesthood and this new priest. The Jews as a whole... Now understand, I know that the, all the early church was Jewish, right? So there were a lot of Jewish Christians and still are, but not as a great percentage of the Jewish nation, right? Jewish population. The Bible even says He came into His own, His own received Him not. What do you want to do with Jesus? We want to crucify Him. Let Barabbas go and crucified Jesus. We don't want Him to rule over us. They missed Him. Just plain and simply because their eyes they had shut, their ears were dull of hearing, their hearts were hard, and He came unto His own, His own received Him not. They praised God with their mouth, but their heart was far from God. We see that. And the Bible uh, speaks clearly of that. But all the types and shadows pointed to Jesus. They shouldn't have missed Him. There was no excuse. The Bible's not excusing them. But they missed it. As a whole, the nation missed it. And, and they continued, even after Jesus came and said, before Abraham was, I am. And even when He came and spoke directly to them and fulfilled all the prophecies directly in, in their day, in their sight, and rose from the dead, did everything that He did in fulfillment of this, their own Jewish Scriptures, just the Old Testament was written at that point. The Jewish fulfilled every, Jesus fulfilled everything that was written about Him. They still missed Him because of the hardness of their hearts. And what did they do? They continued in the shadows, so to speak. They continued to live in the Levitical system when the real had come. They continued to live with examples and types and shadows and ceremonial things and outward observances 
when the real Savior of the world had come that all of those shadows pointed to. So they, they missed the Lord. Their hearts were hard. Their gospel, uh, the Lord's gospel was hid to them in their unbelief. They could have been saved, and a lot were. A lot of Jewish people were saved. And when you read through the book of Acts, there was a lot of the, the priests and a lot of the, the Pharisees and a lot of the Jewish elders in these different synagogues where they, the apostles would go preach. They got saved, lots of them. Okay, But as a whole, they rejected the Lord. God gave a pattern to Moses. First, and I'm just going to read this. Just picture this. Okay, here's the tabernacle. It would be sim- similar to the temple. It wasn't nearly as grand you know, and, and detailed as the temple. But even in the tabernacle, the pattern was first the door of the outer court. It's the first thing. And then the second, the priest would come to the altar of burnt offering. That would be the next thing he came to after he entered the, the outer court. Then he would come to uh, the laver where there would be the washing. Then he would come, uh, then the priest would enter into the holy place. And then finally the high priest, and only the high priest, would enter into the most holy place. And the most holy place is where God promised to manifest himself there, his presence there. And he did. He would meet with them there. But that was the pattern that was followed. But let's look back at Hebrews 8 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon upon better promises. It's a better covenant in Jesus, and it's established, the Bible says, upon better promises. He's a mediator of that covenant. That word, you you know what it means? It means a a reconciler or go-between or an intercessor. Okay, Jesus is our go-between between God and man. And He's the mediator of the better covenant and of a new covenant. I just want to read this. Uh, we're, we're getting ready to read a couple of long passages, but I wanted to read this from Galatians chapter 3. Wherefore then serveth the law? It's a question. What's the point of the law? Paul was saying to the church in Galatia. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Seed, singular, Speaking about Jesus Christ, that's Abraham's seed, okay, in an earthly sense. Salvation is of the Jews. He did come through that line. And the promise was made. He says, where does the law, what's the point of the service of the law and that whole Levitical priesthood? What's the deal with all that? It was added because of transgressions. In other words, it made clear what was sin and what wasn't. Men were already sinners before the law. And God was holy before the law. And God judged sin and held men accountable for their sins before the law. But what the, one of the things the law did was make sin exceedingly sinful, Paul says in Romans. You know what it did? It took sin and highlighted, highlighted it. And I've always thought, I've studied and thought laying in my bed before, well, what's, what's the deal about it? The, the, the law did not make men sinners. Right? We're sinners by nature from Adam. Cain killed his brother Abel way before the law. We're sinners by nature and God promised a Savior coming after that first murder was committed. And even before that, after when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. But the point, what the law did do, it made it real in your face kind of thing. You see how you've sinned, Chris? You already know you've sinned. You already know you're not 
perfect and you know God's holy and perfect and I'm, I'm not. But He's going to tell you how you're not. It's written on a table, you know, this tablet. You've broken this commandment. This one and this one. These two right here. Just today. You know what I mean? And, it, and here's what you need to do. Go offer this sacrifice. Bring this to the priest or he'll offer it for you. And it will, I'll make it, it'll make an atonement for that. And, you know, and so God would have a provision even under the Levitical system. But the point is that I've thought about this before. What if somebody just goes berserk and goes on a crime spree? You know what I mean? They go hold up a Circle K and they kidnap the clerk that works there and they run from the police and they don't have a current driver's license. They're going the wrong way on the interstate and they're resisting, resisting arrest and they're whatever they're doing. And by the end of their crime spree, they already know that they have broken the law. They already know that they're a bad person and in trouble. But when the judge pulls out and says, let me tell you something, son. Here's what you did. And he starts listing them out. 25 different things they did in the last four hours. It makes it exceedingly sinful. You understand? what They already knew that they were in a wrong standing with the law or with the authority that was over them. Nobody had to tell them that. But when they say, wow, I really did all that? Yep, you really did all that. You did all that. And so, to me, that's one of the things, not the only thing, but the law was added because of transgressions until the promise, the, the, the seed would come that the promise was made to. And that was Jesus, okay? And that was Jesus. And He came, and so now there's no need for the, the law. When I see the law, you understand I'm talking about the law of Moses, the Levitical law. Morally, we've talked about it. I, I don't think there's any doubt. We read some Scriptures in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, the law says, you know, not to lust. I, I mean, not to commit adultery. I say if you've lusted in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. And, and don't look on a woman to lust after her. So morally, the, those laws of God are, I believe, unchanging. And we see them in the Scriptures that that is still what we live by. But we're not saved by the keeping of those. We're saved by grace through faith. And now we can live that way. Now we can live that way. Not only outwardly from abstaining from the act of murder, but God has delivered me and washed me in His blood and taken hate out of my heart to where I don't desire to murder the person I used to murder. That really is a miracle. Because I'm not just outwardly observing the law and refraining from murder because I know it's against God's law. I'm, I'm not in my heart. I'm free from a murderous heart. Isn't that better? Isn't that better? Amen. It's so much better. And I thank the Lord for it. I want to uh, I want to read just a little bit more, y'all. Let's let's read um, seven through thirteen. I'm gonna I'm gonna lump all that together. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, saith. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Now he's quoting here from Jeremiah chapter 31. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the 
the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. This is still a quotation from Jeremiah. Saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God. It's not that He wasn't their God already, but this is just part of the new covenant. I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and to their, and their sins and their iniquities while I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first, the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. I don't know if I have time to get through all of this. But I do want to talk about it a little bit. There was the first covenant with Moses. If that first covenant had been perfect, faultless, it says here. If it had been faultless, there would not have been the need for a second, right? If the Levitical priest and everything under that system and their sacrifices and everything would have been sufficient to reconcile men to God, to fit men for heaven and so forth, just in that system by itself. Okay? People were being saved in that day. They were being saved by faith. They weren't being saved by the law, so to speak. If that first covenant or law had been uh, faultless, there would not have been a need for a second. It's pretty obvious. okay? But it wasn't faultless. Because the Bible says in verse 8, but the Lord found fault with them. And here's what I wanted to talk about. Maybe we'll close with this thought. I know we've said it before, but the fault with the law, there's a couple of things. The actual fault with the, this first covenant wasn't a fault on God's part. The fault was with sinful men who lived under it. It was imposed upon them. It was given to men and said, this is the covenant. And there were conditions. If you will do this, I will do this. If you don't, then these curses are going to come upon you. And there was, he was still merciful and still forgiving under that system. But the point is, there was a breakdown. The covenant is between two parties. God is perfect and harmless and holy and undefiled and pure and separate from sinners. And He was at this the time of the Levitical law was given as well. But the breakdown came in that sinful men's, first of all, their willingness to keep it. They weren't always willing to follow God, even to try to attempt to walk under the law that God gave them. There was peaks and valleys. There was highlights when there were revivals and the people would repent. They would really try to serve God under that law. But those were few and far between. Their willingness wasn't even really there to serve God. They'd be worshiping under the, in the groves and under these trees and uh, the, the worshiping the strange gods of the na- neighboring countries around them. Their heart wasn't even really in it for the most part. Okay, I'm given the big picture. So there's a breakdown in the desire of the people to even live under that system. Outwardly, they might say, you know, holy, 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 and then walk off and slip out at night and go worship under a, gro- a grove somewhere and worship Baal. God wasn't fooled by it at all. He guess I'm sick of your sacrifices. 
away with them. They're an abomination to me. You're keeping the feast, but it's so hypocritical. I can't stand it. I'm about to vomit. You may, their heart wasn't even in it for the most part. Some were. Samuel wasn't that way. Daniel wasn't that way. David wasn't that way. You understand my point as a whole. So there was a breakdown in the willingness of the heart of the people. If you're willing and obedient, they weren't willing. They certainly weren't obedient as a whole. Even to, 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 to live by that law or to desire to. And then secondly, they didn't have the power to fully walk that out. God made a provision because He knew they didn't have the power with these, these atoning sacrifices that were made. So the, the weak link, here's a covenant between God and man. The weak link, it was the, the men. That was the fault, finding fault with them. Because and we quoted it from uh, verse 9 where He says that they continued not in My covenant. The people, Judah and Israel that He talked about, they continued not in My covenant. And I've got a lot more I want to talk about this and really break down the law and the purpose of the law. We've talked about it a lot, but i got some great passages of Scripture and I don't want to rush through that. But you know, if we had a big old heavy-duty chain, I know we've talked about it before, (coughs) interlocking, we're going to pull a stump out of the ground and pull those little palm trees by my driveway out, uh, by my sidewalk out there. You're going to pull a truck out of the mud you get a big old heavy-duty chain. And it can be heavy. It can think away, you know, 50 pounds, the chain, or 75 pounds. But it's only going to be as strong as the weakest link in that whole chain. So you've got this big iron, you know, chain. It's all rusted and it's strong. You can hardly pick it up and it's heavy. And, and it can pull a tree out of the ground, but there's one weak link in there. It's no stronger than that. The chain. And so a covenant is between two parties. And though God is perfect and the law is good and just and holy, which we'll look at next week, the weak link finding fault with them, finding fault, it wasn't faultless because in the whole picture, the whole covenant, the covenant wasn't faultless. The covenant had a fault to it. And it wasn't on God's part. It wasn't like He did something bad or wrong or insufficient. It, it was... There was an inadequacy among the people, sinful men. And so there was the breakdown every time. Even David, a man after God's own heart, committed adultery, broke the law. Committed murder, broke the law. Numbered his armies and tempted God. You know, sinned against the Lord. Even there we see it, right? And yet he was saved by faith, not by the law. He was saved by faith and David's going to be in heaven and we're going to see him one day with all the other Old Testament saints that lived during the period of the law. The covenant itself was not faultless because of sinful men being the weak link to it. It's okay. God had a plan for all of that. He had a plan for all of that. So we're, I want to really pick up on that uh, in that we're going to turn to next week. We're going to turn to Jeremiah. If you want to read it and you're studying during the week, turn to Jeremiah chapter uh, 31. And there's uh, just four verses, 31, 2, 3, and 4. Jeremiah 31, 31. Okay, through 34. And it's that quote or that new covenant that was promised. We're going to talk about that. Has that been fulfilled in Jesus? Is that new, that new covenant that was promised? What's better about it? 
Tell me about the Old Covenant. What was the point of the Old Covenant? And that kind of thing. So I really want to spend our, our time next week talking about that. Alright? So you can also, if you're studying, read Galatians chapter 3, uh, 20, uh, 19 through 27. Galatians 3, 19 through 27. And it gives a very clear explanation of it, of the two covenants. One's a promise and one's wasn't one by promise, one was by promise. So I'm going to close with that, y'all. Y'all stand and you can come and sing and, and, and pray. I mean, play. And we're going to begin to just thank the Lord for a few minutes before we leave tonight. Uh, again, same theme, but what we have in Jesus being better. Just take some time to worship the Lord. I pray every week in my life and in your life that a little bit more of this is sinking in, so to speak. A little bit more of this is becoming real to us. What we have in Jesus is so wonderful and so much better. And we're not, we're not living anymore with types and shadows. We're not. We're not living in the day, in the era, or the spiritual dispens- the, the dispensation of types and shadows. Jesus has come and He has fulfilled it. And we have the whole Gospel we have the whole Bible. There's not going to be another book added to it. There's not going to be another sacrifice ever made to make atonement for the sins of the world. Never. There's not going to be another Savior that's promised. There's not going to be the same one is coming back. It says in Acts one, the same Jesus, you man of Galilee, that you're staring up in the sky, that you're watching go, is coming back again in like manner. There's going to be a rapture. Then there's going to be a second coming, and it's, we're going to we're going to get to experience. Uh, that heavenly tabernacle and things like that, that that are to come. And so let's just begin to praise God. Just take a little time, maybe we want to worship the Lord and walk around or kneel um, before we just leave and, and, and go home. Take a, a few minutes and take some time to just appreciate the Lord, to acknowledge the Lord, to thank the Lord. So Father, we just come before You in the mighty name of Jesus. And God, we are thankful I'm thankful for the law, but I'm thankful that I'm not under the law. I'm thankful for what was taught and shown and displayed by the law and Your grace and mercy even in that time, God. And I'm so thankful we're part of a new covenant. And Lord Jesus, give us understanding. I'm not saying that in these lessons on Wednesday nights that every every bit of this is, is going to be sufficiently covered, God. We're, I'm going to trust that You are going to make it real to us, God. The Holy Spirit, You're the teacher. And You're the perfect teacher. And I'm not. And I thank You, Lord, for giving us a glimpse. I thank You for giving us a measure of understanding of what You've done and what was accomplished in Jesus. And I pray, God, you give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to understand. And teach us, Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, give us understanding and glorify Jesus in our own hearts. Glorify Jesus. In our own minds, glorify Jesus Christ. In this church, glorify Jesus Christ, Lord. We love You and we thank You tonight, God. We get Jesus.